Hey everybody, before we get into this episode, I thought I would let you know that we have got a brand new podcast running at the moment and that is called Health Tech Pigeon. It's been running a few weeks and it brings you the top health tech news stories and analysis every single week. So I've got a newsletter that goes out every Sunday. It's called Health Tech Pigeon. And what we've done is we've turned that into a panel show. So you've got me, you've got Henry, you've got Jeske, you've got the rest of the Somex team on there. And what we're doing is we're breaking down some of the health tech news of the week, giving you lots of lovely insights and having a bit of fun while we do it. We also have guests join us. We've got clinicians, we've got investors, we've got entrepreneurs, all sorts of people from across the health tech space. And I thoroughly recommend you give that a listen. If you want to be a guest on that podcast, you can head over to an episode, head to the show notes. You can find the application in there. And if you don't already, subscribe to that newsletter at healthtechpigeon.com. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology. And I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey, everybody. This week, I'm joined by Andre Dreyer, and he is Vice President of Ventures and Acquisitions at RGA. Already, I assume that is getting people interested that are listening to this podcast. He currently oversees a global portfolio of more than 35 venture and eight fund investments. So a bit of fund of fund activity as well. Uh, Andre's got a very unique point of view on establishing effective partnerships in health, life insurance and that ecosystem. RGA is the only global reinsurer exclusively focused on life and health and its mission to make financial protection more accessible to all. So Andre, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How you doing, mate? James, great to be here and thanks for having me. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, yeah, lots of, uh, lots of stuff that you are involved in. Um, we had uh, we had an insurance, uh, a brand new health insurer come on the podcast last week. Um, yeah, it's definitely a space that's increasing, um, which we can we can talk about certainly. I know you've been in this space quite a long time, um, and yeah, investing in funds, investing in companies, and life and health and all this sort of stuff. Super interesting. Looking forward to getting into it, man. But yeah, whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Andre? I'm in sunny Cape Town, uh, the other side of the world for this time of the year. It's nice and warm for us. We're going into our summer. I've uh, been traveling a fair bit, so thanks for accommodating my travel schedules and getting this call set up. I've been <laughs> on a plane uh, and in different parts of the world for probably six or seven out of the last eight, nine weeks. So it's been a, a little bit busy. Call it the post-COVID knee-jerk reaction on travel. Hopefully we'll get back into a Zoom type environment and find the right balance of in-person and digital engagement. But yeah, it's good to talk to you from Cape Town. Yeah, awesome. You've been uh, you've been a hard man to track down, but we've got we've got you here, um, and I'm sure that everybody listening will be glad once they've uh, once they've heard all the stuff you got to say. But mate, it'd be great if obviously you know I've known each other ages, and so um, I know quite a lot of this. But it'd be great if you could uh, tell me again and our listeners a bit about your story. Yeah, it's a great question, and and coming into this call, I've been. Uh, thinking about health and its role in, in my own personal life. And I, I sometimes forget that my actual career started in health insurance 25 years ago. Um, that says something about my age, but it also gives you a, a bit of an expectation of, of having seen a lot of things and what health insurance looked like 25 years ago and what it's looking like today. Interesting to hear the company that came on last week um, 
the industry has changed so much. And certainly from those early days uh, to today, it's, it's just come along leaps and bounds. Um, I'm South African, born and bred. Uh, I've lived in, in various parts of the world. Um, grew up in Johannesburg, was Joburg, as the, our locals would, would refer to. Um, went on to, to study actuarial science, uh, finished my degree in Johannesburg, got a, a bursary from Old Mutual, and that was the only reason why I ended up traveling down to Cape Town, um, never realizing what a fantastic place Cape Town is, and uh, promised myself never to leave again. Uh, I did for a while, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a, in a minute, but I started my career at Old Mutual Healthcare, uh, where I was a, a product development actuary, so really learned my trade in um, benefit design and pricing of what we call here in South Africa medical scheme products. So imagine middle 90s, um, a little company called uh, Discovery may have been known at that point in, in only local parts in South Africa. In fact, they actually started out as a uh, a different company with a different name, which I'll, for, for their own purposes, not repeat. But it's it's really just a, a no-name brand back in the 90s that Discovery was. Um, later on, launched Vitality and now globally known, obviously, as Vitality. Um, so I worked for the competition. I worked for Old Mutual Healthcare. Uh, we, we had our work cut out. We had to compete with what Discovery was bringing out every year. And everybody was benchmarking against Discovery and how do you stay up to speed and, and, and competitive in, in terms of your offering. Uh, and probably a very good early experience around innovation and understanding in a pretty stale, pretty old school world of health insurance and in South Africa, medical schemes being very regulated. So you, you had very... Uh, difficult, big difficulty, great difficulty in bringing in some of the stuff that others always thought is impossible and Discovery did it and, and it really changed the market and the way the market looked towards uh, product design, customer engagement, loyalty, wellness, stuff that we'll talk about later as well, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, that was the, that were, those were my first five years. Um, it was also a difficult time for for healthcare globally, HMOs were managed care in the US was taking off and struggling. Um, health insurance was a prime focus for regulators and uh, uh, industry commentators and taking quite a lot of flack at the time. So as a young qualifying actuary, I thought, uh, I'm not sure I want to stay in this space. I, I'd rather go elsewhere and, and do something else. Um, so I decided to join a a healthcare company, but launching a life insurance company. And not knowing at the time that it was a startup, we never called it a startup. Um, I joined my first startup in the early 2000s. Um, at the same time, uh, the good old discovery that I just mentioned decided for itself to start a, a life company called Discovery Life. Uh, they went on to great things. Our company failed. So... One of those great experiences <laughs> of joining a startup and then coming out with your tail with you, between your legs and, and saying, well, that didn't go too well. But in hindsight, you look back and you say, actually, there were so many learnings in, in, in the process. So you, you chalk it up to experience. That was by 2005 when, when I left that startup uh, and I joined RGA. So it's been 17 years with RGA, but in different roles in different parts of the world, um, I just qualified as an actuary at that time. 
I ended up um, looking for a new challenge as a newly qualified actuary uh, where I can actually apply my skills and use my, my um, qualification. And reinsurance came across my path. And I said, oh, this, this could be interesting. What can I do there? And, and they said, well, we, we're looking for marketing actuaries. And uh, those are the type of actuaries that don't look at your toes when they, sorry, that their own toes when they're talking, they talk, they're looking at your toes. <laughs> so they're the extroverted ones. Um, and I thought I could actually have a go at this. And, and I joined up RGA at the time, a marketing actuary for RGA South Africa. Spent a couple of a couple of years in South Africa. Um, before I I joined, probably if I could summarize my my, my journey with RGA into th- three parts. RGA South Africa as a marketing actuary uh, went across to Australia and lived in Australia for five years, heading up business development for us there. Um, ultimately, had pricing reporting to the team as well. Um, the whole Australia New Zealand market thriving, fast-growing market, uh, very exciting when I got there. Then the big disability claims experience explosion happened while I was there. So that changed the market dramatically and and, and overnight, really, for the entire industry and, and hundreds of millions of dollars of losses being incurred by insurers and reinsurers. Interesting times to, to have spent there. And... By the end of my, my tenure of 2015, um, I got to another point and another uh, turn in the road or a crossroad, and I had to make a decision. Do I come back to South Africa, which I was always planning to do with a young family, um, married, two young kids that were school age, uh, just about to go to school at that time? Um, we always said we'll, we'll bring them back for the grandparents and, and schooling in South Africa. So what do I do? Do I come back? change companies, um, come back to RGA and continue in the business development marketing type space? Um, or do I do something different? And I always say to myself, at about 40, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change things up. So I did. And I went into investments, which was not something that I completely anticipated. Um, it is a complete direction change really from business development. When you making investments, um, you actually have people pitching to you, not as a marketing actually pitching the business to a, a carrier and looking to, to get the reinsurance on that. So I've really taken to the task and, and loved the opportunity to apply all the learnings coming from the pitching side to the decision side. Um, it all started with the first fund investment that RGA had done back in those days before RGAX was even something that, that people knew of um, in, in a fund called Leapfrog. It's a, it's a fund that also is our longest standing fund that we've invested in, um, has a specific uh, special place in, in my heart given where our, our purpose statement and our mission as RGA evolved to uh, and over the years. Um, Leapfrog is an impact fund focused initially primarily on, on Africa and Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, around microinsurance. And then over time, it's evolved and stepped more into health. So again, prominent, prominent uh, message for today. Um, and that's where it all started. I was asked to, 
to ride shotgun, kind of oversee this fund investment. I didn't actually make the initial investment. I was working very closely with our investments team, RGA's traditional investments team responsible for all, all of RGA's assets investments. We didn't have a strategic investment uh, unit. We didn't know how to think about making a, a strategic fund investment. Uh, my job was just ride shotgun, look at opportunities, gain learnings, bring it all back to RGA and see what we can do from mm-hmm. there. Um, and from there, the, the, the role just expanded. I, I went into a, a regional investments uh, role for RJX. I, I started um, overseeing our, our local venture investments. ULife, one of our favorite local UK investments, were born out of those days. Um, and by around 2017, 18, I think it was, uh, we expanded the role globally. And in the first couple of years, it was all about just combining everything into a single portfolio where we get the 35 plus uh, venture investments now and I think we're up to nine fund investments um, getting all our disciplines all our processes all our uh, governance all our all, all of our tracking monitoring and ultimately crystallizing value I mean that's something we can really talk about what does it mean to be a strategic investor how do you bring that value to bear for RGA and and its clients um, that was the, the initial focus. Then COVID hit, uh, and we had a really interesting period of settling down, look after our current investments, make sure that we, we help them through a, a crisis. Um, and then we came out uh, guns blazing, I want to say, in, in as aggressive a manner as you probably want to think of RGA as a strategic investor, um, changing its, its approach and saying, let's work more with these fund partners that we have. Let's carefully select new fund partners and really optimize the the chance of success of any new strategic initiative that we work on. And that relates to both with startups, technology businesses, or even with the big tech firms. We've, we've engaged with big tech in the last 12 months more actively as well and applying all of that learnings, bringing all that thinking that we did in the early days of direct venture investing and all the struggles and challenges and learnings from it, but really optimizing the chances of success all the time. And that's brought me uh, to where we are today. I love it, man. It's a, it's a heck of a story. And I, I actually, I, I want to focus more of this conversation around that investment side. But before I do, it's interesting to me that you've worked in health insurance and life insurance a long time. And I guess with the guests that we've had had thus far and and obviously recently and last week with insurance, I'm trying to, I'm trying to challenge myself and our listeners, I guess a bit to, to kind of debate and bring new ideas and new points of view into this conversation of what is health tech. There are more players in the health tech space than just those that start companies or go from being a clinician to something else. Or there's, there's more than I guess we've done, for the last couple of years on on this podcast. And I want to give people a broader view. And you're definitely part of that because you've been part of this. And I come from the UK, right? So health insurance, if I say that, people are recoiling as they're listening to this in their cars. They're thinking like, oh God, health insurance. And me too, a bit. Like I feel a bit like I need to wash my mouth after I say health insurance. (laughs) God forbid I admit to saying that I've got private health insurance and all this sort of That's stuff. That's why I left the industry. I said, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> right. Well, well, this, well, this, well, this is it. Well, this is interesting, right? So, mm. but I'm, I'm interested in your point of view here about, about health insurance. And I'm only going to ask you one question on this. 
what do you feel about it? You, you, you joked there about like, oh, that's what I'm going to get out. I'm sick of it. But realistically, you, taking a global view here, we're lucky in the UK that we have a public health system. And actually that can influence how we think about the value of health insurance around the world. I don't know. I'm, inter- I'm interested, you know, it, reflections on what I've just said and me recoiling saying it versus yeah. what is the role of health insurance globally to actually making the world a better place if it does so? You, you tell me. It's, it's, um, I get goosebumps when you ask the question, James. It's, um, it's critical to RGA's purpose statement. And it's, it's enveloped in our mission to help making financial protection accessible to all. Through all of the insurance uh, experiences that we've seen in the last 30 years, 50 years, next year RGA will be 50 years old. It's a life and health insurance business. Um, It's been supporting insurance companies around the world, started out predominantly with life insurance, got into uh, a looser health insurance type offering, call it living benefits type environment with critical illness and disability and income protection. And over time got into the proper health insurance that we're talking about today. That's taking the traditional route to expanding as a global reinsurance company. In the process, it started doing innovative things like a a single uh, illness, critical illness product in Australia, which was one of the first things that anybody had done in Australia at the time through Macquarie Life. Um, that was innovative and, 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 and new. It started with um, Inclusivity Solutions, one of our venture partners in South Africa in microinsurance and reaching out to the masses in Africa and saying, well, how do I get insurance into people's phone wallets um, and, and make that financial protection accessible to all? And they're not the only ones who, who are doing this. And what are they learning? That people struggle with insurance. They struggle, as all of us do, financial or life insurance isn't bought, it's sold. So we're using agents. Agents are aging. Um, They struggle to adapt to digital. Here we've got phones and we're trying to get people to buy life insurance. Guess what? These very, very early stage, still in its infancy, microinsurance technology businesses are figuring out that the people understand most health. How do I get something to improve my health and look after me, get me back to my, on my feet, able to work and take care of my family and take that one time when something happens to me and I end up in hospital and I've got to take my six months worth of wages to settle a hospital bill. Well, hang on, I've got something through my phone that can actually take care of this. You see the stories um, and, and the testaments that come back, testimonies when people say, this is where so-and-so made a difference. They don't even call it insurance because they didn't know what insurance meant. And that's why I think what we as an organization, as an industry are continuing to learn. I think once you start reaching out to all and you're making financial protection accessible to all, that's why it's not saying life insurance or life and health insurance. It's peace of mind. So back to your question, and you allowed me only one answer. It's a long one. That's why I'm, I'm taking the time here. I think it's central to it. It really speaks to what people understand when they say, I need to be fine. And I think COVID and, and the pandemic has certainly accelerated that whole concept of I need to be fine. 
And that's why you see mental well-being coming to the fore and everybody's onto it. Life insurers, health insurers, they're all packaging it into their offering because suddenly people realize, I need this. So long answer is a an, an version, a short version of it, it's central to it. This, there's a, an element of that that resonates with me and I think it's to do with getting older a little bit as well and having more that I want to protect. And oh. as I think about getting married and having kids and my dog and my house and the life that I have set up that allows me to do different things, there's the, there is this feeling that I want to protect all of that. Yeah. And I, my mind goes to kind of what, because I've, I've interrogated my own thoughts and feelings on, on, on this. And I've, I've, one of the things I did was thought, well, what is insurance? And it's like, well, how did that start? It probably started with a load of people putting money into a central pot. And then whoever got on well, they'd take from that pot and everybody would be completely fine with that. And that's sort of tax, it's sort of insurance. And yeah. so yeah. it's kind of the same thing. It's a bit the same thing. And then the people with the pots probably want to group together as well and go, well, if someone's pot goes, we'll insure you against the pot. We'll Correct. insure each other against the pot. And there's, there's that there's that sort of element of feeling to it that I guess the difficulty in the UK is obviously it's separate to the it's separate to the national system and the tax system, which is kind of the same thing. I don't know. It was, it was just interesting to me thinking where it all came from, but I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I, and I, mm. I totally see that, that and I feel, it feels like to me, it's peace of mind. That's exact. That's exactly how it exactly. is. Exactly how it feels to me. It's how do we take, how do we take the friction out of insurance and make peace of mind easily accessible? I think once we get that right, mm. whatever sort of insurance we offer, and we'll talk a little bit about our health tech and, and what it is making us, make it, what's, what it's making possible um, today that wasn't possible 27 years ago. So that, that to me is the exciting thing what we, in the day and the age that we're living in. I just need to quickly comment on your, the origins of insurance. Uh, in the UK, a lot of people will say, oh, it's Lloyd's of London and the coffee shop and perfectly right. Um, the origins of, of insurance get tracked back to that, I, su I suppose, especially modern insurance as we know it. And at least the ship owners collectively said, we happy to underwrite each other's ships so that if my ship ever fails, then I'll get bailed out. So in Africa, it's got a very, very interesting, and it's the way you explained it, pot in the middle, it's called a stock fell. And that predates Lloyd's of London. So it might not be the roots of modern insurance, mm. but this concept has been around forever. Um, and and it's, it's been used in other forms and in other parts of the world as well. But it's that, that willingness and that trust, James. That's the other thing, right? I think over time, um, mm. insurance institutions have lost the trust of consumers. And that's why a vitality is so interesting. That's why a U-life is so interesting. Uh, Vitality is no longer a startup. It's now one of those big financial institutions, but they've got trust. You, they've got engagement. You look mm -hmm. at uh, a U-Life and what they're doing. They've got customers coming to them, engaging, and then they get the peace of mind. That is truly unique mm -hmm. to, to what we're seeing. And, and mm -hmm. digitization and digital and health tech and the embedding of, of health services what people want, right? Two years, three years ago, we said, ah, when I talk to a doctor on a video screen, 
I almost want to ask for the, the audience who on this podcast hasn't spoken to a doctor in the last two years digitally. That's what we've done. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. get this massive acceleration of adoption of technology. And that is to me where the, the health tech uh, uh, overlap with insurance is happening at a rapid pace. One of the things I wanted to comment on today was mm-hmm. the, the rapid spend on health technology in the insure tech space. You and I have spoken about this Venn diagram of health tech and insure tech, often seen as mutually exclusive, but actually they overlap and increasingly they're colliding. And that overlap is getting bigger and people are creating super apps from a health insurance perspective that's offering all of these health tech type solutions, doctor on call, teledoc, whatever you want to call it, symptom checker, um, uh, making bookings, getting concierge services, getting mental health uh, solutions being brought to you right on your phone. And embedded in that sits a health insurance offering. So people are talking about embedded insurance. Mm-hmm. It's happening in health insurance as we speak and probably will, will be one of the biggest growth drivers for the next 10 years as the adoption of telehealth and digital health really takes hold and, and, and forms the basis of health insurance going forward. Yeah, And in part, this is why the word accessibility is important as well, because obviously one of the major pushbacks in the UK being, oh, it's only afforded to the rich. And that's where globally the accessibility word is so important. And that's why, well, clearly that's part of the reason that that you like working RGA with that as the mission. That's what you sort of brought it to. Um, And yeah, there's also this element as well of like, well, what a value? And okay, well, as a sector then, what is the value that that's providing? If there's if there's cash flow and there's potential for impact, what what can what can this thing called insurance and insurers as companies do in the ecosystem? And that's what you're talking about there, which mm. is there's an optimization of health thing here, which is different from the insuring against when things go wrong and getting a certain amount of care there. And that's what I think is interesting about what you talked about. You mentioned trust and trust between a consumer. Well, you you talked about um, uh, the the companies to consumers in that way around. Well, it's interesting because also consumers and uh, insurance companies. So them trusting the likes of Vitality, it's interesting because that feels from a brand perspective, which is more of my language, but from a brand perspective, vitality feels like optimizing my health. It doesn't feel like insuring me against when things go really bad. And actually when you zoom out from there and go, well, what's the value that vitality is having on the whole health ecosystem? Let's put insurance to the side. What what advantage is vitality having? Well, actually vitality is is, uh, incentivizing people to optimize their own health. That's right. And it's giving them stuff that's keeping them healthy and teaching them healthy habits. And that information is then going through them to others and creating this culture of optimal health, which is doing wonders for a country like ours with a public healthcare system that can only treat a certain amount of people before it gets overwhelmed very quickly. So the more that we are keeping people out of hospital, the better for that economy more broadly. And so there is an argument here mm. where it plays that role in the whole health ecosystem and and helps prop everything up. And so, yeah, it's interesting to me that yeah. it has a role to play and there's connotations left, right and center. But I don't know, your thoughts? Yeah, James, it's a, such a great analogy of, of how insurance has become a companion 
really, right? So if you think of a health companion, um, when, when people think of their health, they think of their medical insurer. It's kind of like the outcome that, that a, a perfect outcome that the health insurer would want. And maybe to be fair to, to all of Vitality's competitors, um, th- there are many others that's now doing the same thing, right? So of I think course, Vitality yeah, certainly course. set the trend and, and, and they're doing a great job of um, managing, which is also an interesting thought, the financial and physical health of individuals. So there's this mm-hmm. understanding from that business model that you really want to, if I can talk, talk in retail terms, you want to own the customer and and effectively become their go-to in terms of all that they do. And they weren't the first and they're not the only ones who are doing it. Uh, I'm thinking of the Rakutans in Asia that effectively created a, a super app and an ecosystem where you go to do all of your engagements, social media, messaging and whatnot, and then also financial services. And the same in China that we're seeing with the Tencents and, and with the Ping-Ans. Interesting to think of Ping-An, which started out as a life insurer going into health insurance, and it's now a financial uh, services company and turning into a technology company. So it's that understanding of the customer building the trust and then becoming their companion. So I think that's what you're going to see more and more mm, of yeah. the super app environment where you have all these services, digital health services, financial services, all plugged in and just seamless and easy to engage. And back to your earlier comment about accessibility. And I think that's what's so interesting about, about emerging markets and many parts of China where you see the, the ping-ons of the world doing this. Um, it's not just for the rich. That's the beauty of it, right? Delivering mm. and talking to your customer is as easy as accessing their phone. So delivery cost is so much lower. Transport cost and access to care is available. You can do this at a fraction of the price of what you had modeled in your head 25 years ago and said, well, how do I get financial services? How do I get healthcare to the masses? That's the beauty of, of what we've seen in terms of technology, uh, technological advancements and bringing care to the consumer. So I'll, I'll just quickly circle back to the insurance as bought and not sold. I think suddenly you're starting to see a reverse here when people are saying, I want this app. And because I want this app, I'm actually buying. I mean, many of these services that the super apps you get for free, but then you get the uh, unlocking of many of the advanced services by buying certain tokens and buying certain subscriptions. And people are saying, I want that. And suddenly we've got a complete uh, uh, turn on its head of insurance is now being bought and not sold. So thinking about that in terms of RGA, then you've mentioned that RGA is a strategic investor at a very zoomed out level, you know, fund of funds activity and, you know, becoming an LP into those VC funds and with some VC activity as well. What is that strategy? What is RGA trying to do overall? What are you acquiring and putting together? What is what is the overall view here and f- framed in terms of, I guess, global health? Because I think that's where a lot of this conversation is going. Sure. And it, it, does bro- it goes broader than, than global health, but certainly global health is, is part of that mix. Um, James, what, what is the purpose? And the purpose is, is to establish partnerships that can accelerate innovation for RGA and its customers and the end customer. I think that's probably, if I had to put it in a soundbite, that's that's the crux of it. 
Um, as the financial services industry, we've often thought of insulated innovation and we will build things, we will uh, create things, we will outcompete the competitors by creating the next big thing ourselves. And the whole fintech revolution and uh, in, in advancements in technology had shown that that's not the only model and certainly not necessarily the best model. So partnerships started evolving and that's where we started with our early stage, early um, venture investing, early stages of venture investing. We also ended up at that time investing very much in early stage companies. Um, and a lot of lessons have been learned. We've, we've found that um, many of those investments weren't necessarily ready to partner. Uh, many of those investments um, thought that they had a, a great solution for the life and health insurance industry and only to find that, listen, it doesn't work when you start with a solution. You kind of have to realize what the problem really is and start there and then build back into a solution that might be the, the one that you had in mind, but it might also be some, something different. So roll forward to, to where we are today. I'd say early on, it was all about investing to, to partner and then make it work. That hasn't always been that, that successful. So that's why we've, we've really doubled down on our thinking around finding the right, what in the, in the private equity world would be called sponsors. Who are the best uh, private equity funds and in our terminology, venture capital funds that we can partner with, again, the word partner comes in, who are really good at picking technology startups. So again, seven years ago, you didn't have insure tech funds. You didn't have digital health funds necessarily of the size of what we had in the fintech space. Um, and maybe when you when you focused on insure techs, you maybe had a couple of hundred that you had to kind of track and see what they're up to and, and how they've progressed and are they getting traction or not. Now we're talking thousands. If you go into Crunchbase, you go into CB Insights, the numbers are just continuing to blow out. So we've chosen to, to take the route of finding the best funds that we can partner with to effectively sponsor that early scouting for us. Um, we supply them with problem statements that we gather not just by ourselves in our offices and say, well, this is what we think the customers are having trouble with. We're talking to our carrier clients. We're talking to their consumers and continuously refine the problem statements that we're looking to solve for. And we share that with our fund partners and they help us canvas and, and, and scour the entire market. Of course, we're still gonna have someone who knows someone who's working on something and chats and AI, we should be looking at that. That's great, we'll still look at that. But we now get the opportunity to compare that against the best that the venture market is, is, is investing in out there. Um, and they get to solve and work on the problem statements that we know our clients and their clients uh, are finding and, and, and need, need to be worked on. And in the health insurance space, that is literally around delivery. That is literally around getting cost-effective healthcare delivered to the end consumer, opening up new markets, creating that accessibility, um, and ultimately reducing claims costs. Mm. That's in the interest of the the insurance carrier, but also the end consumer, which will result ultimately in, in lower insurance premiums. So it's a it's a it's a not a unique model, I want to say. As a strategic investor, though, I would say we do find that we're one of the few investors that are really going out and saying, guys, 
Um, it's not about the financial returns on the investment. It's not the investment income or the investment returns that we're going for in terms of making these fund investments and ultimately where, where it makes sense, the, the direct venture investments. It's all about unlocking that strategic value that this partnership, the technology partner can bring to help accelerate problem statement solutions that really work. That's our strategic intent, first and foremost. That's really interesting. And I, I suppose it's quite a nice position to be in, to be thinking in that way, that I guess as a, as a ventures department, for want of a better word, I suppose as long as you're profitable, or if that's the right word, or you're getting the returns <laughs> needed to sustain that department, you're right. Because of where you're sitting, you're you're funding these funds that fund these technologies that are creating a vision for a world of how you see it, which That's right. it sounds to me like you're accelerate you're, innovation. Right. You're yeah, you're trying to get accelerated yeah. innovation to find it sounds like the win-wins, right? So you housed all of that in dropping claims costs, dropping or, or you know dropping the need for them, or, or or dropping premium costs and that sort of stuff, because that's the win-win, right? Because then everyone's insured. There's less going wrong. There's that's the ultimate win. That's the strategic value. Yeah, it's interesting, James. You you write the the sourcing through fund partners is a great story and it amplifies our, our capabilities, right? It, it, it for, it's a force multiplier mm. for what we can do by ourselves. Let's get strong fund partners to help us with that. But at the same time, you're right, on the other side, it's also a great hedge against yeah. the volatility of a, 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 a direct venture portfolio. So the fund of funds um, probably on on 10 year plus type of, of view may do poorer than a pure of direct venture portfolio, but that's not our aim. Our aim is to find the best technology partners, and actually that gives us air cover. If the funds are doing adequately, we're not losing money, and we're getting this accelerated innovation, hmm. which is really what our, our, our main focus is. For health tech companies listening, and for digital health companies or med tech, loads of different terms, but essentially for health tech companies listening that might not have thought about their relevance to the insurance space, be that for investment, strategic investment acquisition. What would you say to this health tech world that might not be thinking about that? What should, what would make them relevant to this mm. world, do you think? Who should be thinking, well, we could partner with an insurer and actually make some global impact here in a certain way? You've mentioned emerging markets in Africa being a place where accessibility is in, an incredible win for you know what you you guys are doing because again if you're in the uk you might not think about this stuff but what types of technologies or what types of startups should be thinking about this if they're if they're building relevant technology do you think that's such a great question and, and that's the difficulty with health right especially health tech and health systems mm. different rules <laughs> in different countries so if i can accelerate a certain health um a delivery in one market for the NHS, for example, um, that's great. And, and now I'm one of several thousand that are trying to tackle that problem and I'm, I'm trying to break in and, and, and make my mark in that space. I suppose the opportunity, and James, you, you and I have had this conversation over the years, the idea of just looking over the fence and seeing 
hang on, there's the funding side of the health delivery piece. Um, how does my focus on this particular problem in the health system potentially benefit that side? Mm. Uh, and it might be that I still have to go through the health system to get to that funder and get their attention. Or I might actually be able to take my technology and look at their problem statements. And, and I might actually find that a, a lot of, my, of the back office of insurance and insurance delivery is less regulated in, in some respects. It's not in that same or it's, it's more similar around the world and global in, 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 uh, in terms of how you can solve for those problems. So that's the opportunity that exists for health tech. It's really just to understand what the funding side of it all might look like and say, well, maybe that's another or a different partner that I may be interested in partnering with to try and solve the, 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 the things that I'm out there to try and solve for. So that's the one thing that I would comment on. The second thing is probably just to spend time. I, I love focus and I'd love to think that any startup should really focus on their problem and work um, rigorously at, at solving for that problem. But every now and then just take a step back and understand your surroundings. And if you know what your surroundings are like and listen at accelerator events, at um, pitch days, well, we're kind of in the same space, but you're on the funding side, I'm on the, on the uh, health delivery side, but let me better understand what you guys are doing. I think that openness of opening up your mind just allows you to also put in maybe one or two other stakes in the fire and just allows you to potentially branch into that crossover in the Venn diagram that we spoke, uh, spoke about earlier, as opposed to just sticking to your, your digital health, health delivery type solution. Yeah. So it sounds like any, it sounds like any company should and could be thinking about this. And I, I think that's an interesting point because so many of the people that I interview either use this word and you've certainly used it or certainly allude to it of, of wanting to make impact. And a lot of health tech founders yeah. could be fintech founders and, and but they choose to be health tech founders yeah. because of what they want to do based on a personal experience yeah. or based on their knowledge of a problem because of where they've worked or a family. Like there's, there's loads of different reasons why people go into healthcare, but ultimately there's a, there's this huge, I want to make impact. I want to do, do something that's worthwhile. And I think that's, a, it really, it sort of triggered me a bit that of, of just thinking like, yeah, with everything that I do, thinking about my competitors, thinking about all the stuff that I'm trying to achieve. There's a lot of talent in, for want of a better phrase, the Western world or Europe or the UK or London, if you want to keep going. Um, there's a lot of talent there. And everyone's trying to compete for a relatively small. If I was to zoom out and challenge myself to thinking, well, why don't, why doesn't all my content get translated into Spanish? Why doesn't all my content get translated yeah. into into some African languages or at least try that and see what impact that could have? Because so many people message me about my podcast and say like, oh, I got this idea yeah. from listening to this one episode and then I, then I got in touch with the person and they put me in touch with someone and now I've got a co-founder and now I'm building this thing. I'm like, well, why couldn't I be doing that in African countries? I'm just thinking now, <laughs> like, wouldn't that be a good investment? Mm. James, the technology, the technology exists for us to do mm. what you're thinking of here. You're just scratching the surface. It yeah, exists. Yeah. The way in which we can make our content fungible and get it into every corner of the world, the time is now. Mm. So if I could answer your previous question again, I would say no matter what industry you're in, but if you want to think about insurance, 
the opportunities there to do what you're doing, just think, how does this help make financial protection accessible to all? And that's the funny thing. It's not insurance. It just happens to be that we as an insurance player are also striving towards that. But where financial delivery is being delivered through health tech, that's effectively helping people getting financial protection. And that is the, the, the crossover that exists in what you're doing and what health tech is doing purely in the health systems and the NHS and what we're doing from the health insurance space. So I think that's where uh, impact is really driving what we as a business stands for, drives what uh, founders are standing for and drives the opportunities. And, and I think you're right. It's a democratization that's happening of, debt, of talent. Anybody anywhere in the world can help us achieve this. Andre, I love it. I've, I feel like I've had an education here. I feel, I feel like there's, there's, there's a lot that I need to actually just sit and think about here, about my view of lots of this. And yeah, you're right. The, the final, yeah, financial protection is the value. Insurance is just one of those products. Yeah, it's, and ultimately, if we're going for an emotion and a feeling, it's, it's peace of mind and it's how do we productize peace of mind to create a business model that can then go and create that impact. And then we can think about, you know, how do we make that accessible? And yeah, the role of the early adopters in showing how it works to then make it cheaper for everyone else once it gets going, yeah, all of that stuff. Um, yeah, really, 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 really interesting. One final question for me, Andre, before I let you go. Um, what, what's, what's exciting you at the minute? Sure. <laughs> Looking forward to a holiday. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I'm trying to solve all these global about. problems, Andre. I can imagine you need a rest. Exactly. Uh, we we haven't we haven't just on a personal note we haven't been back to Australia in a little while because of the pandemic and we've got family there. So um, if everything works out in in the next two weeks, we'll be traveling there. Oh, so that's nice. pretty exciting. Um, on, on a professional and a business level. James, I, I think the I've spoken a bit about the the fund approach that we've taken, um, and and the opportunities that that's bringing, James. It's just astounding. Mm. I think when you first started thinking of a fund of funds and you diversify your your portfolio and you minimise your downside hmm. risk, that's all the economic aspects yeah. of a fund of fund strategy. But picking the right and the best fund partners and the opportunities that's bringing us at the moment, it's just staggering. So part of our thinking has been to bring some of that innovation that RJX initially was more focused on to, to solve stuff around the corner and digital health mm. is very much in that space, right? There's, there's stuff that's gonna impact the world in the next three to five years that a lot of the digital health is, is playing on. Um, but then there's also more closer to home, nearer term digitalization, uh, digitization and development of digital solutions that our reinsurance business are working on with their carrier clients today. And the, the broadening of the funnel on the, uh, at the top for us is just allowing us to pick really quality technology companies and even established businesses that we wouldn't have thought of in the past to really make a big impact very quickly. So that's probably the, the single biggest thing that excites me um, that really can help RGA achieve its lofty growth targets and make an impact globally.
Exactly. Back to making that impact. Andre, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. If people want to get in touch with you or they want to get in touch with RGA or RJX, what's the best way for them to do so? James, easiest is just to email me directly on adreyer. So it's A-D-R-E-Y-E-R at rgax.com. I can very happily get in contact and get back to someone who, who wanted to reach out to us and point them in the right direction if I'm not the right person to, to answer their questions. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content. 